You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, are you ready now? We're going to continue in this Advent series of messages in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Turn there with me if you would right now. Or you can look at the verses on the screen. But man, it's so helpful to have a a hard copy of the Word, or maybe an iPad or phone, or just take, take some time to take some notes this morning in your worship God as well. But I want to take a moment and capitalize on, on what Mo, uh, Matthias is his name, we affectionately call him Mo, just in case you were ever, you know, I don't know how many people even know his real name, Matthias, but Mo is his, uh, what we always call him. But Mo preached on love last week. If I would have had a chance to, to tell Mo, hey, uh, add this little phrase to that title, I would have done it, and it would have been this. Fill up on love, because this morning I want to talk about filling up on joy, and here's why. Because you know what's interesting about this time of the year? Going back to two weeks ago and Thanksgiving, we all got filled up. Am I right? I mean, did you get filled up on turkey? Did you know that 22 million turkeys are going to be sold and, 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 and cooked and eaten on Christmas Day in America? 22 million turkeys. Uh, I was like, wow, that's a lot of food, you know. And we, we fed 1,400 people right out of the cafeteria on Thanksgiving Day. Then we went home and got really full. In fact, if I'm not careful, Thanksgiving can become oftentimes a lot about how full I can get on that day. And I always leave the table uh, just, I, I can't fit another bite in my stomach. I'll, it'll probably be that way uh, at Christmas as well. But I got to thinking. So many people during this time of the year will fill up on food, but then still leave the table empty. Empty. Food is one thing, but love is another. Joy is another. Next week, peace is another. Hope on Christmas Day is another thing. I want to encourage you this morning as we, as we approach Christmas Day to consider this, that the real feast of Christmas is not the meal that you will serve yourself and fill your belly with, but the real feast of Christmas is filling up on what the Lord gives to us. And as we sang a moment ago, joy, unspeakable joy. This is what God this morning is offering us today, to have a life filled with joy. And the story we are going to look at this morning is found in Luke chapter 1, and it's the story of the birth of John the Baptist. Jump into the text with me, if you would, please, right now. In Luke 1, beginning in verse number 5, and it makes this little introductory statement that in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now, if you're not careful, you'll get right past all of that as if it wasn't important, but there is something significant about in the days of Herod. Those were some really difficult days to live in. You know, sometimes I think we think, we live in some really difficult days, and we do, by the way. I, I can think of a lot of things that make the culture we live in difficult, the world we live in difficult. And we often can talk about the fact that as Christians, it is more and more difficult sometimes to truly take a stand for Christ, and we feel the pressure of the world leaning in on our values and on what, uh, what, what the Word says. But I want you to know those words, in the days of Herod, carry with it a lot more context than just Herod was the king at that time, or Herod was the ruler at that time. You see, Herod gives a whole new meaning to the word tyrant. It takes it to another level. In the days of Herod is not just some little five-word cliche to introduce the times they were living in. It has something to do with the horrific, difficult circumstances that people lived in under Herod's tyrannical reign. In fact, it was said that Herod oftentimes would run out of money in the king's treasury, and his way to solve that problem was to bring the wealthiest people in the world at that time into the palace and slaughter them so that he could empty their bank accounts and take care of the problem. I don't think that would work in Washington, D.C., but I'm sure it worked in the days of Herod. Just kill all the wealthiest people in the world, take care of the, you know, the, the money issues in the, in, the, in the kingdom's treasury at that time. Herod also was very insecure, very insecure. So insecure that it was said that he often thought a paranoid uh, feeling that someone was going to take his throne. As a result of feeling that paranoia, there were times in Herod's reign where he had his wife killed, his first wife killed. He had three of his sons 
killed. Herod had his mother-in-law killed. Here's the point. It wasn't easy living in the days of Herod. In the days of Herod. So much more to it. Understanding that. Understanding the story. What we're about to read happened in the days of Herod. He was king of Judea. There was this priest named Zechariah. He was of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and here we see that Elizabeth was one of the daughters of the priest of Aaron, or the sons of Aaron. So, obviously, there was a, a very spiritual family being put together here, a priest, a daughter of priest. So, this is a family that is dedicated to Christ, living a life totally sold out to God in the days of Herod. Are you with me? You and I serving God in difficult days. We're not the first ones. And yet we can see today in this story some encouraging things as this family in verse 6 were both righteous. They, were, they walked blamelessly. doesn't mean they were perfect and they lived a, a, a perfect life, but it does mean that they, they, they did the right things. They served God. They, they went to church. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But if that were all we were to read, if we were not to continue to read on to verse 7, we might think that this family was living the dream, that everything was perfect, that there was no difficulties in their life, there were no struggles, that man, everybody, this was the envy, their lives would be the envy of any family, maybe even in this building. But we're going to read verse 7. And in the midst of all of this righteous living and walking blamelessly in all the statutes and commandments of the Bible. The Bible clearly says they had no child. There was an unanswered prayer in their life. There was a difficulty in their life. Elizabeth was barren. It says they were well advanced in years. They had one serious heart cry that was not answered. Even though they were righteous, even though they were walking blamelessly before God, they had no child. You know, 30 years is a long time to pastor in one place. But one of the benefits of pastoring 30 years in one place is you begin to create, to collect some data in your, in your mind, in your heart, uh, in your spirit, and, and really, quite frankly, just you start realizing, okay, there's some things that happen often in a 30-year tenured pastor's life. People go through difficult seasons. And you begin to see that maybe there's some top things, some, some main reasons why people go through difficult seasons in their life. And over 30 years of pastoring, I think I've identified four very serious ones. One we can find in the text. One of those would be, I will, I'll call it this, it's when people go unfed. Or when they have financial difficulties or problems or lose a job or come to a place where they just don't know if their needs are going to be met, and they, they get concerned, and, 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 and actually fear oftentimes can grip their hearts, and they begin to wonder, how am I going to pull this off? Are we going to even have a Christmas? Is it going to be the credit card again? And all of this begins to well up as fear begins to control the narrative because of a financial issue. And we go through those difficult seasons in life at times, unfed. Then I've seen many... Young people struggle with being unwed. Singleness oftentimes brings people to a place where they feel all alone and forgotten. You know, am I ever going to get married? And is that ever, is that right one ever going to come along? And and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 25 and 28 and sometimes even, and we wonder, is and I see the difficult season that some people go through as they begin to wonder, God, where, when is this going to happen? Why do I have to wait for this? Unfed, unwed, and then unconnected. I mean, as you, as you can see this morning, we have more than just a dozen or 20 people in the church. They're all over the building and in the balcony. And I wonder today, as I preach to this marvelous crowd, how many of you feel unconnected this morning? You're here, but you're alone. You're here, but you're wondering, you know, how do I get connected? I'm looking for community. Let me just take a, a quick time out. And, and share this with you like I did at the 9 o'clock service. Can I tell you, we want you to be connected. And we know how difficult it is to feel like you, you need uh, uh, people to, to walk through life with you. And so therefore, we're excited about revamping our small groups into what we're calling. And we'll get used to this. Don't worry, it won't take very long to get used to calling them lighthouses. Because that's what they are. 
They're basically small communities of people within the greater community of the church that meet together during the week in houses and study the Bible and live life together and pray together and and meet the unfed, unwed, unconnected needs of life. Are you with me? And so what you can do this morning is right after this service, you can slip right out those double doors and there'll be some folks standing there at the welcome table and they'll have a uh, uh, 12 different groups that you can join. Now, I want to say this to Scott, our missions pastor who's here. I think all of them are already full. So I'm going to say, just keep writing your name down because I don't know what else to say. But if you're not connected, get connected. We had a ton of people sign up after the 9 o'clock service. Maybe it's because I made this announcement in the middle of the message. I met people out there that I didn't even know attended our church. How long have you been coming? Three weeks, four weeks. I'm so sorry I didn't get to meet you. And I apologize to them. And I want to apologize to you if we've never got connected yet. I want to get connected with you. And I want to say this to everybody who is connected. Help someone else get connected. If you're already connected and you feel loved and valued and you're in a group and you've got that, you know, that, that, that folks around you, then you need to step out of your comfort zone, walk up to someone who isn't connected and say, come with me to the table, let me get you connected. Because it's a, it's a tough thing to go through life and not feel like you've got someone or someones or a church family that's connected to you. We want to make that happen. We want to do all that we can to help you. That is a difficult season of life to be in. Unfed, unwed, unconnected, and then in the text, infertile. And through 30 years of pastoring, how many times have we anointed people with oil to have a child that they've been praying for for years and years and years, only to see at times that either doesn't happen or there's a longer waiting period than expected. This is a difficult season of life to live in, and this is where they found themselves in. An unanswered prayer, a huge need, a heart cry that still has not been met or answered. I got to thinking as I was preparing the message about the goodness of God, Carol Ann, and our our life, and I was trying to identify some unanswered prayers, and I thought, well, you know, it's such a blessing to know, you know, our, our children are saved, and and our grandkids are in church, and my mom is saved, and my dad is saved, and your mom is saved, and your dad uh, was saved. And I mean, there's so many things to be thankful for. But I looked at my prayer list, and I found an, a heart cry of our family. When Tiffany came into our family through marrying our son, Joe, uh, we had her dad over for Thanksgiving and began to get to know him, and he's lost. And I began to pray for John Thornton to get saved, because Tiffany means a lot to me. And that's her daddy. And I want her daddy to be saved. And I know her mama's saved, and her grandpa's saved, and her grandmom's saved, but not her daddy. And so my heart cry this morning for my family is, God, save John Thornton. Bring him to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Use me to continue to be a witness in his life and love him like you would love him if you were here. What is that heart cry that you have? What is that unanswered prayer this morning that you have that is, that is maybe potentially between you and having a joy-filled life? Well, I've got a suggestion for you this morning as we move into the notes. And that is this, how to have a joy-filled life. How can you do that? How how does that happen? How does that unanswered prayer not become a hindrance to you having a joy-filled life? How do you fill up on joy? Let me give you four suggestions. Are you ready for this? Actually, they're not really suggestions. They're actually solutions. They're scriptural ways to be filled up with joy this Christmas. This is coming from someone this morning who can say, I'm filled up with joy this morning. Give you this message with a heart full of joy. Difficult circumstances, difficult seasons, and if I chose to not have it, joy, I could easily make that choice because there are burdens, but I choose joy. Number one, I feel full of joy, jot this down, when God's presence is revealed. When God's presence is revealed. A moment ago, we sang to the Lord Jesus on this platform and in the audience. And there were statements that were made, hey, just think about this. And, and it's incredible to think that God is here and God is with us and Jesus is with us. And when you can comprehend that, when God's presence is revealed, there is joy in the house and in the heart. Look at our text, Luke chapter 1. And look, if you would please, at verse 11. Zechariah is going to the temple here and notice in the text what happens as he walks into the temple. The Bible says in verse number 11 that there appears an angel. Can you imagine walking into an empty room by yourself? Listen, I've walked into this auditorium many times by myself and an angel of the Lord appears. 
what will your reaction be? I guarantee you what mine would be. I'd be shocked and probably just as troubled and overwhelmed with fear as Zechariah was. That's what happened. Look at his response. After I'm sure he let out a gasp, he, he was troubled, Scripture says, and fear fell upon him. Those were the two responses when God's presence was revealed to Zechariah. Let's break those down. Troubled. Oftentimes in Scripture, you see when, when God's presence is revealed, when, when folks are going through a difficult season, whether it's in a boat, in a storm, or, or, or sickness, or some sort of you know, catastrophic event, as soon as you hear, as you, as you sense the fear, you hear the words, do not be afraid. The presence of God makes itself real. And here in this story, we see the presence of God. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Because being troubled is usually associated with that when, when things are out of our control. And as things are out of our control, and I don't know about you, but I like for things to be in control. I like to be in control of things. I want my hands on things. I want to know what's going to happen next. And when that's not available, it's troubling. When things are out of my hands, I tend to be troubled. And then notice, secondly, he's filled with fear. Fear seems to be the common biblical response to the revelation of God. Even through the preaching of God's word, oftentimes people can fall under the fear of the, you know, what happens if and what about the end of the world and maybe through the messenger of God. We, we tend to be fearful at times. And the truth is, it's when we come to the realization that we understand that God is holy and we are not. God is awesome and we're not. God is perfect and we are not. It is God that is awesome. God is real. And, and when we are here and listening to his voice, the sphere that Zechariah had is a sense of accountability to God. Because the bottom line is this, that God's presence was being felt in this story. And what's about to happen and what you're going to see in the text is the joy is about to flow. When you walked into this building and God's presence began to be revealed, the joy began to flow. How oftentimes do I stand in that atrium and as people walk out say, Preacher, I came in empty, but I'm leaving full. And God really spoke to my heart. The Lord met with us this morning. Oh, listen, that doesn't have to be a once a week experience. That can be every morning with the Lord. That can be every day as you walk with Him. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 says, is your strength. If you want to fill up with joy, it starts with God's presence. Psalm 1611 clearly says that it is, to, uh, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. I want you to fill up with joy this Christmas. And it all begins when you understand and realize and feel the presence of God. When you have joy, you're fired up about God. You know, sometimes uh, I, I wonder as we, as we hear uh, one of the pastors here speak at Gospelite, and it's not always me. Last week it was someone else, and in weeks to come it'll be other preachers that preach here on our staff. But one common denominator that I often sense when I listen to a preacher preach, when they're fired up for God and when there's an intensity to their preaching, and, and you can tell they really believe what they're, what they're saying, I always sense that must be coming from joy. Because joy is what fires me up, knowing that God is in control, knowing that He's present in this place. And when I am full of joy, when three things, when God is at work in my life. So this morning, I want you to know God is at work in my life. He's working in my life. He's moving in my life. He's helping me to understand things more clearly. And, and, and even after 30 years of ministry, I've, I've not lost that joy. I still am learning and growing and, and, and coming into a deeper relationship with God who is at work in my life. And when he's at work in my life, I feel full of joy. Secondly, I feel full of joy when God's at work in my family. And I, I just, I love to watch God work in my family. Something about watching God speak to my wife. And oh, last night we took, uh, we took a couple, uh, uh, Scott and Christy went out to eat with us. We took Zoe and Millie, and, and we were talking on the way home, Carol Ann and I were. And I looked at her and I said, wasn't it cool to see, honey, how God is 
working in our son's life. I could have sat there and listened to him all night, just talk about his passion for God and ministry, and it encouraged me. And I said, honey, I just, I can't believe this. I'm so encouraged by this. I'm so excited about this. And it just, it really is, pinch me, is this real? Is God really doing this? I love it when God is working in my wife and my kids and my grandkids. I just love it. I love it when little MJ says, I want to pray. Let me pray. And he prays some crazy prayer. It hardly makes sense. It's usually God help me to get more gifts for Christmas or something, you know. Silly. But just the fact that he wanted to pray, I'm like, that's so cool. Is God at work in your life? Is God at work in your family? Thirdly, I love it when God's at work in my church. And I feel full of joy when God's at work in my church. I love to see God's people as they come together and, 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 and God begins to speak to them and they begin to move and respond Man, I love it when we baptize somebody. Man, thank you, Randy, for following God this morning. That fired me up to just have a part in your life, just to be uh, on the sidelines as God is moving in your life. I'm filled with joy about that. And you need to know that. And you need to know that. Number two, not only do I feel full of joy when God's presence is revealed, but I feel full of joy when God's comfort is experienced. I want you to see that in the text as well. Look at Luke chapter 1. Let's read verse 11 again. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled, remember? And fear fell upon him. But the angel says, do not be afraid. I mean, immediately the first words out of the angel's mouth in response to God's presence being revealed is comfort being experienced. That's what comes next. Do not be afraid. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the comforting hand of God in your life? Isn't it amazing? Just for a moment, meditate on that thought. Have you experienced the God of all comfort? The God of all comfort. That's what he is. And he comes alongside us. And and, and there's a way that God comes alongside his children in the middle of the darkest night that just can't be explained. And I feel full of joy when I experience that comfort because God is like awesome in the comfort category. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, God's like a 2,000. Off the charts. This is who God is. He gives peace. He gives assurance. He gives confidence. That everything is going to be okay, even when I can't explain it, even when I don't understand it, he gives comfort. And as a pastor, I have had the privilege of going through some very deep valleys with people over the past 30 years. In 30 years, I've, I've had a front row seat to the diagnosis of cancer dozens of times. As a pastor, I've had a front row seat to the diagnoses and health issues and the loss of children and the death of family. I've I've seen it. I've watched it. I've I've watched people grieve. Just this morning I was thinking about Sharon Pope, and and sure enough, she she shot me a text this morning, and I couldn't believe it. And I texted her and asked her if I could read a portion of it, and she said I could. If you don't know Sharon, she's been in the church for 29 years I married her and her husband, Richard, 29 years ago. Recently, Sharon was diagnosed with cancer, and she's gone through surgery, and this has been a really tough week of chemotherapy and losing hair and all. It's been, it's been a tough week. Her immune system is really low, or she'd be here this morning. She texted me and just said, I sure do love you, preacher, and I'm thankful that I've been here all these years. Thank you for marrying us 29 years ago. Thank you for your constant prayers. I can't imagine going through a trial like this without Jesus my pastor, and my church family. I'm confident that I'm going to get through this and be better on the other side because of it. I usually have a positive attitude about it all, but every once in a while, I have a bad day. That's okay, Sharon. It's amazing how I always hear of someone that is far worse than me on, the, on those days, and it's as if as God is showing me just how blessed I am. He is so good, and I know he has me right where he wants me. God has me right where he wants. Now, this is a week of serious chemo, 
and a low immune system, but he has me right where he wants me. God's comfort was being experienced in that moment. There's no way you can say something like that without knowing the comfort of God and experiencing the presence of God and then being able to say as the joy overflows, I am blessed. Church family, so many of us this morning need to get a hold of this. In this Christmas season, when oftentimes we can dwell on the negative and look at that which we're going through as a reason not to rejoice in this time of the year, but it's all the more reason to experience God's presence and his comfort. I think about others in our church like Paul Lindley who have had, I think, five surgeries in the last three months, and Kathy Wilkie who just came out of surgery and is battling to get back in, in, in home and going through therapy. And Logan Liuzzo, a pastor friend of mine whose son at age 19 has had cancer for the past year and in and out of all kinds of different uh, hospitals and cancer uh, clinics. And, and yet, every time I read something he, he shares with uh, us uh, over social media, I'm so blessed and encouraged because Tony somehow, someway and his family have found that the joy of the Lord is their strength. In the midst of difficult and dire circumstances, I feel joy when God's presence is revealed. I feel full of joy when God's comfort is experienced. And thirdly, I feel full of joy when God's provision is detailed. Now, it's amazing to me that oftentimes God will do something in response to my prayers but it's always better than I could ever imagine. And when God provides, he doesn't just provide in a generic way. Are you with me? God's not a generic God. I can be generic sometimes. You know, I can provide somewhat little, you know, it's a little shabby, okay? I mean, sometimes I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have very many details to, to what I'm trying to do uh, that, that, that I feel like is, is a good thing for my family or the church or whatever. I mean, I don't have a lot to explain sometimes. I'm just kind of, yep, yeah, that's it. Never with God. I feel full of joy. And in this text, I see the details of God's provision. Here's Zacharias and Elizabeth. No child, well advanced in years. Look at verse 13. The angel's going to announce this incredible news that their prayers have been answered. And then notice the details. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now, just for a moment, time out right there. How many of you... Have ever wondered if your prayers are being heard? Anybody with me? Ever wondered? Is God, is God even hearing? I got good news. Your prayers are being heard. Don't despair. And your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear a son. And you shall call his name John. And here it is. Don't miss this. Look at it. And you will have joy and gladness. Joy is what happens on the inside. Joy is in the heart. Gladness is what comes out. Gladness is the jig that happens when the joy is flowing. Amen? I got a lot of joy, but sometimes it comes out. It always comes out when I preach, you know. I'm pretty animated, right? Why? Because I'm full of joy. Joy and gladness. Joy in the inside. Gladness coming out. And then not only that, not just that, but Zechariah. Many are going to rejoice at his birth. That's what we're doing right now. What a fulfillment of prophecy. 2,000 years after the angel told Zechariah, you're going to have a son, you're going to be filled with joy and gladness, and Gospel Life Baptist Church is going to be rejoicing. That's amazing, isn't it? Here's the part I wanted you to see. For he will be great before the Lord. He's going to be great. Can I tell you something? When God does something, he doesn't just do it. He does it great. Great is our God and greatly to be praised because he that is mighty has done great things we we read this morning and and worthy and, and, and greatly to be praised. Notice here some characteristics of this greatness. He goes into great detail. He provides detail. He doesn't just say, you're going to have a kid. He says, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to be great. And here's how he's going to be great. It says he must not drink wine or strong drink. The first thing I see here is he says he's going to be set apart. He's going to be consecrated. 
Is it wrong to drink wine? No, it's not wrong to drink wine. But sometimes greatness includes setting aside things that are not wrong, but, but they're not helpful. And so what I see here is in my own life, that if I want the joy to flow in my life, sometimes I have to set aside things in my life and set apart some things in my life to, to, to do even what I'm doing here today. I can assure you there are things I would like to do that I don't do because I know it takes a pastor to be set apart and consecrated. And I see greatness here in John because of this consecration. Notice it also says in verse number, uh, let's see here, verse 15, it goes on to say that He'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Greatness includes being filled with the Spirit. This morning, do you desire to be filled with the Spirit of God? To go throughout this week in this community with the power of the Holy Spirit evident in your life, if you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, to live a spirit-filled life where, where you're walking in the spirit and living in the spirit. And this morning I pray that I'm preaching the words of life from a spirit-filled life. He's going to be great, but not just great. He's going to be consecrated. He's going to be spirit-filled. Notice in verse 16 it says he's going to be a soul winner. I love this. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. His life, John the Baptist, pay attention to the detail, his life is going to be about other people being won into the kingdom. And church, I I pray that you want your life to be a life that is guiding others into the kingdom. Because we use our time, we use our resources, we use our giftedness to help others come to know Christ. You say, well, all I really do is stand out in the parking lot and, you know, I, I just help with security. You're being used in a great way to help others come to know Christ. If you work in the nursery, maybe you worked at 9 o'clock, thank you, because there were some people at 9 o'clock that were able to hear the Word of God because you let God put you in a position to be used of God. And that's the next thing. Notice, he was used of God. Verse 17, not only to turn the, not only, not only uh, excuse me, verse 17, I'm sorry, it being used of God here. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm sorry, I missed that statement there. I don't want to miss that because it's so powerful. It speaks here of someone who is being used of God. Not just someone who is spirit-filled, not just someone who is consecrated, not just a soul winner, but someone who is being used of God just like Elijah was used of God. John the Baptist was going to be used of God. And just like John the Baptist was used of God, Jared, you can be used of God. And just like D.L. Moody was used of God, I can be used of God. God is not a respecter of persons. It's not just one or two individuals that can be used of God in this place. It's every single person in the building can be used of God. And then notice he was someone also finally who brought people together. He turned the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And he made ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's someone who's going to bring together families. He's someone who God's going to use to be a bridge builder. And and greatness includes bringing people together and building bridges and and, and bringing unity to the people of God. And so if you want to fill up on joy, here's my suggestion. Detail the provision that God has done for you. That old song we, we used to sing in the old, old hymn books, when upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it may surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. If you remember that old song, and some of you, that's just, you haven't never heard it before, but I know many of you have. Isn't it interesting how our blessings aren't just one, they're one by one by one by one. When you begin to think of how great God has been to you, the blessings flow. The joy flows. It, it, it's, it's un, it's un, it, there's no way to count the blessings. Zechariah and Elizabeth, God is not just giving you a son. He's going to be great before the Lord. And Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness, verse 14, and many will rejoice at his birth. So to fill up on joy this Christmas, take some time and detail what God has done for you. Can I give you some ways to cultivate joy real quick? Just jot these down in your, in your worship, God. First of all, Rehearse with God the reasons you trust Him. And one of the ways that you can do that, that I, I love to just read God's Word back to God. 
Because so many times in the Psalms especially, like for instance, just an illustration, not on the screen, but just an illustration, Psalm 103 this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, and on and on and on and on. It's detailed the goodness of God. Rehearse with God oftentimes the reasons why you trust him. Read the scripture and praise him for his goodness. Number two, keep a joy journal. Have you ever just wrote down on a piece of paper, in a notebook, the things that God is doing in your life, the the things you're thankful for. I love to do this, and as a result of this, I have journals that are filled with just things that I've written, and sometimes they're repetitious, but man, I'm just grateful sometimes when God keeps on doing what God keeps on doing, right? It's amazing. Somebody told me the other day they have a joy box. I thought this was a cool idea. They said, yeah, preacher, what I do is I got a joy box, and I just, it says joy box, and there's a little place to put notes in, and so I write notes to God, and I just put the notes in the joy box, and they're just things that God's done for me, and so every two weeks, one month, sometimes in a year, I'll just open the joy box and read the different blessings. You say, well, that's kind of corny. Well, hey, I like it. It works for her, right? What do you do to journal the joy that God is doing in your life? I wrote this down. Surround yourself with joyful people, because I want to encourage you with this. Joy is contagious. And when I'm around joyful people, I get joyful. Because relationships are so important. And if you build relationships with people who exhibit confidence in God, that will benefit you greatly in the joy category. Number four, approach life's challenges and trials redemptively. Understand, as we've said so often in church recently, that the difficulties in life are there to make you more like Christ. And when you understand that the circumstances in life are developing your character to become more like Christ, you can approach life challenges with joy. Number five, make praise and gratitude a habit. Make it a habit. Thank God on a regular basis. If God meets a need, praise him for it on the spot. Just make it a habit to say, thank you, Jesus. Be responsive. And then number six, fill your mind with music. Listen to music, sing music, meditate on music that draws your heart nearer to God. Have it on your lips, have it in your car, have it in your iPod, whatever. Oftentimes, it's praise and worship music that brings me into a place of of joy and cultivating the joy that's maybe not as vibrant as it should be. And then number seven, have an eternal perspective. Take the long view. You know, sometimes I've been told that, and I don't have any money on the stock market, but if I did, I probably would take this advice. They say, look, when you put money on the stock market, don't take it off and put it back in and take it out and put it in and take it out and put it in. The folks that have the most profitable investment in the stock market are those that leave it there and just take the long view. If it goes down, it'll come back up. I've heard that. I'm not a financial advisor, but that sounds like a pretty good plan to me. And when it comes to the spiritual living perspective, you have to keep eternity in perspective. Sometimes if you look at life the way it is now, you might think, are we really, is this really worth it? I mean, are we really, is living the Christian life really everything the pastor says it is? Sometimes you look around you and it can be discouraging, but if you take the long view, I heard one pastor say it like this, I've read the back of the book and we win. We win. That's a great way of thinking about it. And so cultivate your joy in these ways. And then finally, in closing, and this is the best part, number four, I feel joy. One, when God's presence is revealed. I feel joy when God's comfort is experienced. I feel joy, full of joy, when God's provision is detailed. And I feel full of joy when God's grace is embraced. When God's grace is embraced. Look at the text again, Luke 1, verse 13 Let's read that again real quickly here. It says, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. Don't miss this. He says, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son, and you shall call his name. Say it with me, church. Who are they going to call him? John. John, not Fred. We're not calling him Fred. It's not going to be Billy. It's not going to be Robert. It's going to be John. Yesterday, I was... uh, I was just talking to some folks 
that I didn't know and just inviting them to church and in the middle afternoon uh, of, of yesterday. And so I asked this young lady what her name was. I think I told you about this, Caroline. She said, Margaret. Did I tell you the story? Okay. She said, Margaret. And I said, my mother-in-law's name is Margaret. There she is sitting on the second row here, my beautiful mother-in-law, 87 years old, still on the front row. Great lady. And I said, I like that name. And she said, well, that's interesting. She said, I was named after my grandmother. My grandmother was a really godly woman, and my mom loved that name. And so the significance of that name to me is it's not popular. It's, it's not something usually people use anymore. But for me, it's special because it's my grandmother's name. And I thought about that in relation to this story. John, what does John mean? The name John means the Lord has been gracious. You shall call his name John. So that every time, Zechariah, you look at that boy, every time, Elizabeth, you look at John, you will know this, the Lord has been gracious. Regardless of how you feel, Regardless of if you're unwed, unfed, unconnected, infertile, going through a difficult time, remember this, his name shall be called John. The Lord has been gracious. Zechariah, Elizabeth, be reminded of this. And church family, be reminded of this. Regardless of what we go through, God is gracious today. He's good. But Zechariah had a hard time with that. He struggled. Look at verse 18 of the text. Zechariah says to the angel, well, how am I going to know this? I I don't know who you are, dude. You just show up out of nowhere. I'm standing here in the temple, and you just pop, scare me half to death. Here to tell me that my old wife's going to have a kid. I'm having a hard time believing that. I mean, you have no idea. I mean, this is not really even possible. And you're going to tell me she's going to have a kid. I mean, how do I know this? I'm an old man. I'm advanced in years. Obviously, Zechariah was struggling with a lack of faith, as I'm sure I do at times. And maybe you do. But I love the next verse. The angel answers and says, I am Gabriel. Now, there are millions upon millions of angels, right? But there's only two with names in the Bible. Michael and Gabriel. And this angel says, I am Gabriel. And let me tell you where I just came from to bring you this message, Mr. Zachariah. How shall I know this? I stand in the presence of God. I just left the throne. And this is what I heard from the lips of God. You're going to have a child. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you. I was sent to bring you this good news from God himself. And because of your lack of faith, behold, you're going to be silent. You're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. And by the way, sometimes we have to have enough faith to believe that even though it doesn't come in our time, it will be fulfilled in God's time. Isn't that the hardest part of the Christian life? Waiting waiting but it will be fulfilled in their time there could be some waiting but in the meantime Zechariah embrace the grace because your capacity to enjoy this Christmas season is going to be directly related to your willingness to embrace this message his name shall be called John the Lord is gracious listen this morning I want you to know this It's often been said that Christmas season brings for many not a season of joy, but a season of sadness. It's often been said that there's more suicides during the the holidays than any other time during the year. I'm here to press against that. I'm here to press against any depression, discouragement, defeatism, lack of faith. I'm here to say that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And though you may be waiting on God to answer your prayer, waiting on God to save your daddy, waiting on God to give you a child, waiting on God to provide for your finances, waiting on God to do whatever it is you're asking God to do, in the waiting, embrace the grace, the graciousness of God. He's been gracious to all of us. 
Notice in the last part of the text that Zechariah, he couldn't speak. Can you imagine going through this pregnancy? I can only imagine what that must have been like for him. Because I know what it's like to have a wife that's pregnant five different times. And how many times she says, hey, he's kicking right now. And it's like, really? Let me feel it, you know. And there's a lot of cool things about the nine-month period. And Zechariah was unable to speak. He couldn't have the same joy that everyone else around him was having. So the time comes in verse 57 for Elizabeth to give birth and she bears a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy. And they rejoiced with her. Except Zacharias because he was, he was silent. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But the mother says, uh-uh. His name's going to be called John. And then all of a sudden, someone speaks up and says, John? Where'd that come from? None of his relatives are named John. Where did you get that name? What are you talking about? Oh, well, let's just see what Zacharias has to say about this. And they made signs to his father. Maybe he couldn't hear. I'm not sure. <laughs> they make signs. Inquiring. What do you want to be called? Zachariah? He asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote these words. His name is John. And I can only imagine how he must have written those words. After nine months, his name is John. And then in the very next verse, I love this. He immediately, his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, the joy began to flow, and he began to bless God. Oh, listen to me, that verse is a verse of a man who finally was able to express the joy that he really felt in his heart, but wasn't able because of lack of faith to give it. Can you this morning scan the horizons of your life right now and recognize this? The Lord has been gracious to you. Maybe it might take just a glance at your spouse sitting next to you, if you're sitting next to your spouse. And just for a moment say, God, you sure have been gracious to me. It might be tomorrow morning when you go to your job. Oh, it's not the job maybe that you expected. Maybe you're not getting paid what you're worth or what you think you're worth. Maybe somebody got the raise that you deserved. But you got a job. And the Lord has been gracious. It might take going home this afternoon and just getting on the floor with the kids. Just playing with them, having fun. If you're like me, having a hard time get up, you know, after that. It's a whole lot easier to get down than it is to get up, right? But I never regret just taking some time with the grandkids and hanging out with them a little bit. And then being able to say this. The Lord has been gracious. Maybe it's just this morning, hanging out with the church family and just realizing, man, this is so cool. Every week I get to go to church and for an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes, I get to sit in an auditorium, listen to worship music with my church family and hear a word preached and have some coffee and just, I love this. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's people. Or maybe this morning it's going to be looking at the cross. As we sing in just a moment about that cross and the fact that Jesus paid our sin debt, our victorious, glorious, wonderful Savior, right? For just a moment, maybe it's going to be glancing at the cross and saying, the Lord has been so gracious. Because church, the fountain of our joy will only flow freely from our hearts when we say, the Lord has been gracious to me. Would you take a moment right now, just before we stand and sing, would you take a moment and bow your heads with me and and just take a moment with heads bowed and, and just reflect on the graciousness of our God. Can you identify some reasons to say his name shall be called John the Lord's been gracious the Lord's been gracious to me friends, family your small group, your lighthouse here at the first of the year 
your per, the provision, the details of the provision, your health, the Lord has been gracious to me. In just a moment, we're going to stand in worship. And I wonder today if there might be someone in our church family that's, or maybe someone just in our family today. You came today to be a part of our family. And we're glad you're here. But you do not know in a personal, relational way. When I read Randy's testimony, maybe you were here and you heard the testimony, and that's, you, you don't have one of those testimonies, one of those experiences where you've repented of your sins and you've accepted Christ and his payment on the cross as you, for your sin debt. If you've never done that, I would love to invite you this morning to come to know Christ as your Savior. Take that step of faith into the family of God. I'd love to pray with you at the front of the church or after the service. Come and find me or any one of our pastors. What a joy it would be to, to welcome someone into the family of God this morning. That'd be amazing. So if that's you, don't hesitate. His arms are open wide, ready to receive you and love you. If there's anyone else here today that needs to make a decision, the altars will be open. You can come and pray or stand in worship or sit and pray. You respond as the Holy Spirit would have you to respond. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word and from a joy-filled heart, speak, preach, and share the graciousness of our great God because of your presence, because of your provision. Thank you for your grace, God, that, Lord, I want our church family to embrace in this Christmas season in the midst of difficulty and all the hardships of life. God, you have been so good to us. And God, I thank you for your comfort that you're extending to our church family in so many different ways. So Father, as we stand in worship, as we kneel and pray, as we sit and pray, whatever it is that we do, God, may we respond with joy today. May we open our hearts to joy. May joy flow freely from our hearts. And may we leave this place with that joy. And may this community know that there's something different about Jesus' followers. In your name I pray. Amen. Shall we respond by standing? sitting or praying, whatever you need to do.